Hello and Merry Christmas. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating the birth of our Savior. This is the day after Christmas. And I have to say that for the first time, I think, ever, we didn't have a Christmas tree. And there was nothing bad about that. I've always enjoyed having a Christmas tree in some way, shape, or form since I was a child. But we just decided that it's kind of lost its importance with us. We focused more on the true meaning of Christmas. It's not to say we didn't have a few decorations up. We had our nativity scene. We had a few items out front. Did not do lights this year either. And again, I don't feel like that we missed something. I actually feel like that we gained something. Maybe a little step away from some of the material stuff. In any case, we're getting close to the end of the year here. And in the reading, we start out today with Hosea, getting back into Hosea 5. Israel committing whoredom and is defiled. Quote, they shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. They came with gifts, but not a contrite heart. That's the issue there. Repentance is called for, quote, After two days he will remove us, and on the third day he shall raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. That seems like a Christ reference to me. Another quote, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This is from God's point of view. He, he's saying that repentance and knowledge of God is desirable than as opposed to just sort of open open representations Israel is wicked and mixed with non-believers like a cake not turned quote it's like a, when you're baking a cake and you don't flip it and one side becomes burnt and the other side isn't isn't cooked at all or very few note Hosea refers to Ephraim one of the twelve tribes I believe that was one of Joseph's sons, actually, if I remember correctly. But I believe that um, Ephraim led to the military actions that created the northern kingdom of Israel. And therefore, so Ephraim here is synonymous with Israel, the northern kingdom. Israel will be destroyed because of its unfaithfulness. And in chapter 8, quote, He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law, end quote. In other words, judgment is coming. You hear this a lot with the both the major and now the minor prophets about judgment, some, some being a few centuries and some referring to the end times. This is, of course, this common theme that I think we need to take in in today's times. So we need to turn from God and eventually judgment's going to come and we want to repent before the judgment. Quote, for Israel has forgotten its maker. And then in chapter 9, Ephraim shall return to Egypt. This implies returning to slavery, not an actual trip back to Egypt. But remember, that's how the whole journey started. The literal exodus was God leaving, leading his people out of slavery and therefore to freedom away from Egypt. And a lot of miracles back then. This Remember the whole crossing the Red Sea, Moses parting it, and all of that. 
Chapter 10, quote, Israel is an empty vine, end quote. So the, the vine is no longer producing fruit for God. That's what this metaphor is. Hosea seems to spend a lot of time, though, saying the same thing, that Israel was unfaithful and will be punished. And I know this is a common theme in, in the Minor Prophets as we go further. But sometimes I'm not sure about the repetition, particularly within one book. Or maybe I'm missing something. I probably am. Uh, chapter 11 begins with how God bought the people of, out of Egypt and the people of sin. So it's a reminder, again, talking about the Exodus and, and all of that. This is God presenting the case that all this time he was there for the people, but the people ultimately didn't respond on balance. There were, there were peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys, but the valleys became more than the peaks and a steady decline. Um, they weren't collectively and consistently moving forward. Judah will also be punished. Hosea makes a comparison. Um, so Jacob repented and was changed, and his name became Israel. The people, however, here went in the opposite direction. When the people offended in Baal, he died. So in other words, when they turned to Baal or Baal, it depends upon how I like pronouncing it Baal. I don't know if that's correct. But the that caused death because they were turning away from God. They continued to sin more and more, consumed by this idolatry, quote, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. That's pretty spot on. I mean, you can't be more direct than that. And so therefore Hosea ends with a final call to repent. And then we move into Joel. Every time I think about Joel, I think about Billy Joel. But what I did not know is that Joel means Jehovah is God. Joel is the fun is the son of Pethiel and is the, the word of the Lord came to him. Joel speaks of a locust devastation. It's not clear to me as to whether or not this is a literal locust swarm that's coming or an allegory to something else. Regardless, Joel instructs the people to lament and cry unto the Lord, quote, for the day of the Lord is at hand and a destruction from the Almighty shall it come, end quote. Joel speaks of an invading force that will cause people to run in panic. This is the army of the Lord, I think. Then Joel pivots and says, the Lord invites the people to, quote, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, end quote. With such repentance will cause the Lord to, quote, pity his people, end quote, and also to, quote, remove far off from you the northern army, end quote. Fear not, O Lord, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. I like that quote as well. The Lord also now returns to the locusts and says, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, end quote. In these days, the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all the flesh. Could this also be referring to Jesus sending the Holy Spirit after he was resurrected, he appeared, and then he left, he ascended, and he said before he ascended that he would send the Holy Spirit, pour out his spirit upon all the flesh. It seems to be connected there. Quote, whoever shall shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, end quote. I like that quote. 
Now, chapter 3, start here with a quote, The heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. There will be a new vine, new milk, and, quote, Judah will dwell forever. That's the end of that quote, I think. And, And Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. And that's the quote that ends the book of Joel. Then we get into Amos. Uh, you know, whenever I, I see the word Amos, I think about famous Amos's cookies. Remember those chocolate chip cookies? I don't know if they make them anymore, but they were good. Um, so Amos is actually not, he's not a self-proclaimed prophet. He's just sort of a regular guy that had this vision, decided, I've got to take this vision up to Israel. He's in Judah. It's like, I'm going to take this vision up to Israel, and i got to say what's in my mind. And then when I'm done pouring out my head, I'm going to return back to being a shepherd. Uh, he's from Tekoa, a village that's south of Jerusalem. He traveled north to prophesize against Israel around 760 BC. So he specifically prophesizes against Damascus, Gaza, Tyrus, Edom, Moab, Judah, and Israel for various sins. For each of the um, of these, the Lord says that He will send fire, except for Israel. The first six are um, no. Yeah, I think I have that right. The first six are Gentile nations and are accused about crimes against humanity because obviously they can't break the law if they're not followers of the Mosaic law at this point in time. That's kind of a definition of a Gentile. You're not Jewish. Uh, Judah and Israel, though, are, are accused of unfaithfulness as measured against the law. Israel will lose in this battle. And in in chapter 3, I really had to rely upon the notes to understand this chapter. Sometimes I do. It gets confusing. And again, King James Version I'm reading. Uh, Amos is accused of having no right to prophesy against the people of God. So it's like basically, you have no right to be here. You're, you're from Judah. And, and what do you know? Why, why are you here? And Amos counters with three items that the notes talk about. First of all, they will be judged. Judah, uh, Israel. Second of all, uh, God has spoken to his prophet, to Amos, and therefore Amos has this obligation to speak this truth that he believes is truth. And number three, because Israel was so wicked, pagan nations could sit in judgment against Israel. So in other words, Israel is not limited to Israel judging Israel. I think that's the takeaway from this. So Amos prophecies against the rich women of Samaria, which, quote, oppose the poor and crush the needy. Here's another um, common theme that we see in the Minor Prophets, is that there's, there's a lot about the sins of basically greed. And, and um, there's certainly become more and more inequity, it seems like, over the years. People hoarding, people cheating, and you have this, this more division. And I think we see a lot of that today as well, too. I think that we should be aware that that this greater division between rich and poor that we're seeing is is not something new, but it is one of the things that led to judgment for God's people. Um, and and Amos is also prophesying prophecy against those who go to shrines to offer sacrifices, though without contrite hearts. That's really the way I interpreted it. it, it it's almost like um, sometimes you, you have like the, the, the Sunday Christians. They go to church. They, as, as one pastor used to say, they, they 
they spray up, they show up, they sit up. I don't remember exactly how he used to say it, but he, basically they're, they're all there. They look nice. They, they look the part. And then they're not, for the, for the remainder of the week, they're not living as a Christian. And that's false. And I, I've known people like that. You probably have as well, too. And quite honestly, I've been that person. And I try not to be that person. I think we all have elements where we're that person, but the more that we're self-aware of that, the better we can be in our lives away from the church and be the church in our lives. Anyway, for this, God says, quote, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. It's pretty strong. Uh, Amos laments against Israel, quote, The virgin of Israel is fallen. She will no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up, end quote. In my eyes, this is that Israel lost its innocence by its sinning and idolatry. Quote, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. That's, of course, seek God. God instructs us not to seek others. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken there will be wailing, and the Lord will not accept empty sacrifices. There's that kind of like check-the-box church type thing going on there. Amos 6 begins with the woe. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. Those that have pride and trust in their own nation's strength will fall. God, quote, hates their palaces. I don't know, that's not a quote from, that probably is a quote from in there, but but this is again, I think, talking about hating um, monuments to their self-perceived greatness. That's what I see as a palace. Amos sees a plague of grasshoppers, which I think grasshoppers is synonymous to locusts in the Bible. Um, It seems definitely to be here. Uh, After the vision, Amos says, quote, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, end quote. And God then proclaims that the plague will not happen because Amos prayed for the people. This is repeated with a plague of fire. And then Amos is shown a plumb line to emphasize that Israel is not straight with God's requirements. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, told Amos basically to get out and leave his prophecy to Judah. You don't belong here. What were we talking about before? But Amos replies that he is no prophet, that he was just told to go to Israel by God and to speak these words. In chapter 8, Amos is shown a basket of summer fruit ripe as Israel is ripe for judgment. Judgment on those that, quote, make the poor of the land to fail. Here we go again with these accusing the people of cheating. The quote here is making the EPA or the EFA, I think it's EPA, E-P-H-A-H, EPA. I will go with EPA. Small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit, end quote. And another quote, Shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? End quote. There will be a famine, and the Lord will slay the last of them with the sword. The Lord will destroy the sinful kingdom and raise up the tabernacle of David and then restore Israel. The tabernacle of David is the house of David from which the promise of restoration comes from Christ. And so the prophecy ends with promise and leads to the New Testament, and that's the end of Amos. And then we go to Obadiah, which is a very short book. Primary, it focuses on Edom, and it's um, just one chapter. Edom is prideful. Quote, But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother and 
the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. And for this, Edom will be punished and occupied by others, and, quote, the kingdom shall be the Lord's, end quote. And so Israel will take Edom's land, and that's the end of Obadiah. Again, very short. That leads us into Jonah. We all know about Jonah, and a lot of times you hear the belly of the whale, but it's actually the belly of a big fish. Um, it's a familiar story to children. Just from that, it's very short. It's only four chapters. God tells Jonah, and you probably know this, the story, but the summary is that God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach, but Jonah refuses because Nineveh is a pretty bad place. There's a lot of evil going on, and and and, and he doesn't want to preach there. He, he, he just... I think part of it is prideful where he's afraid that if he preaches um, of destruction, it won't come true. And also probably for his own safety as well. Well, it's always the right thing to do to, to follow God's instruction. And Jonah learns this. So Jonah is traveling away. He's on a boat. There's some waves and storms and this and that. And the people know that because Jonah probably said something, Jonah said, well, you know, it's like I was supposed to preach in Nineveh, but that's what God said to do. But I'm like, ah, forget it. I want to do what I want to do. And the people on the boat are like, well, you're the problem here. You're the reason why that the, we're, we're, we're going to die out here. So instead of us dying, um, you know, basically, God, we're sorry, but we're going to toss Jonah off the boat. And they do. And when they do that, big fish comes, swallows Jonah, and Jonah is in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And when he's in there, he prays and is faithful in his prayer. And there, there is a debate, according to the notes, as to whether or not um, th- this is um, a parable or an actual event. The notes, the notes present evidence and logical reasoning as to why this is probably a, an actual event. And, and the chief of which, basically, is that um, with, through God, nothing's impossible. If this is how God wanted to convince Jonah of whatever, then God's going to make it happen. But there is that debate one way or the other, and which I can understand that as well, too. Um, after Jonah had prayed, after the three days, the fish, quote, vomited out Jonah upon dry land. And at this point, he's instructed again to go to Nineveh. He learned, he obeyed, he went to Nineveh and said, hey, you guys are going to be overthrown in 40 days. Well, Nineveh, to I guess his surprise, repented. And, and, and they're, they are spared their destruction. And Jonah's upset about this now because, well, he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh originally, and this is the way I interpret it, because he, he was afraid that, that God's grace and mercy would trump his, his prophecy and he would be labeled as a false prophet. So a lot of uh, pride going on here. Um, well, so God uses a gourd to... to, to impart a lesson on Jonah. So I guess this is a pretty big gourd and provided um, Jonah with some shade. And But the gourd ended up withering, rotting, getting eaten by worms and all this. And Jonah's upset about it. And God's like saying, so, so you're more upset about a gourd dying than, than 
if you would have been if all of the people of Nineveh had actually died. You, you, you were letting your pride get in the way of being mournful for who, who could die. And, and the notes talk about, it kind of ends just right there, but the notes say that logical reasoning here because Jonah must have told this story to somebody that the uh, Jonah is not presumed to be written by Jonah but although Jonah is mentioned as a prophet earlier in the in the Old Testament um, it is it is most likely written by someone who had heard this story presumably either directly from Jonah or through someone that Jonah had told but regardless Jonah's first person here in the belly of the, of the of the fish. I still want to say whale. In the belly of the fish, and there's really only one person there that could actually have related that story, and that's Jonah himself. So, by virtue of the fact that Jonah related the story, there probably shows that then, therefore, that Jonah must have responded positively to God's lesson. And that brings us finally into Micah. Micah actually means who is like Jehovah. I did not know that. The word of the Lord came to Micah in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Quote, For the transgression of Jacob is all of this, this destruction, that's my word, and for the sins of the house of Israel. So this is all going to happen because, destruction is going to happen because of this. The transgression of Jacob refers to Samaria and the sins of the house of Israel, the high places in Judah, Jerusalem, this seems to be a little sarcasm here that pointing out that the worship in Jerusalem had become like the pagan worship at the high places. Quote, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. End quote. This can apply to the leaders today, don't you think? Leaders that push division and promote that evil things are good. Chapter 3 continues with this theme of judgment and on, on, quote, who hate the good and love the evil. And again, I, I see that just the past few years have opened my eyes to this, and I see that also more and more in the Bible. There's, there's definitely lessons there. And one of the reasons why we need to continue to read God's Word to be aware of what's happening today. Um, so the, another quote um, they, they who will be judged will quote cry out unto the Lord but he will not hear them he will even hide his face from them at this time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings end quote you know I know people who are traveling this path of destiny and I'm, I'm very sad for them and I pray for their spiritual health but I don't really see that there's much more that we can do because ultimately we're responsible for ourselves and to be the light to help others find their way out of the darkness. They can't be forcibly removed from the darkness because that would violate free will. And that's the whole point. That's where we started in this journey back in Genesis. They are deceived by false prophets for which, quote, the day shall be dark over them. So I think that those that are pushing this agenda are going to be more and more responsible for all of this. Quote, the heads thereof 
judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof drive for money. So those who have influence are using it more for their own selfish needs and wants and wealth as opposed to God's needs. And that's it for today. We have one more week left in the year. We'll actually finish with the Saturday reading. I usually go through just Friday, but but the year ends obviously on a Saturday and it won't make any sense to end this series kind of like and then start next year with like the end of this series. So until then, um, I may also push that again to Monday. I'm thinking about maybe pushing these to Mondays because it does seem to be difficult sometimes to get these out on Sundays. Uh, but it'll still be for the same period. It'll be from the previous Saturday through Friday that we discuss. So because that gives then you time to digest the readings and me time to digest the readings a bit. Until then, God bless. Take care.